Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast is sponsored by Royal London, who, as proud sponsors of One Day Cricket, are also the UK's largest mutual life pensions and investment company, providing financial services to millions of people across the country. To find out more, visit www.royallondon.com. I'm Simon Hughes. Welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. So the longest season is over, but the repercussions of what happened near the end of it are going to be felt for quite a while. Of course, I'm talking about the Ben Stokes incident at Bristol, which I felt, Simon, cast a bit of a pall over not only just the the, the media and the headlines that, that it created, but it cast a pall over England in that last match at Southampton. I integrated with the England team a little bit there uh, before the match and I just felt there was this sort of sadness in their eyes and slumped shoulders and despite the fact they played very well in that final game there was this atmosphere of disappointment and disillusionment as a result. Well they know that if Ben Stokes is not in the Ashes party whatever Moen Ali has said that you know it doesn't affect their chances it's not going to affect their chances of course it will he's there talismanic player, excellent batsman, excellent bowler, great fielder, balances the team and gives them that, well, also that that front foot aggression that sometimes you need in Australia. We can, when we talk, when we make radio programmes, television programmes, we can edit things out. Goodness me, wouldn't the ECB like to edit out between (laughs) one o'clock and three o'clock what happened last Monday morning in Bristol? Yes, they would. We'll talk about that a little in a, a little more detail. We should just also say we've got... A Joe Root interview coming on the podcast after the break. Yeah, Joe Root ended the international summer with a six to give England that 4-0 win over the West Indies in the Royal London One Day Series. And we'll hear from Root in the second half of this podcast. He explains what drives him on. He's had an an excellent summer and he talks about what keeps him going. Because he's played in all, all the formats, hasn't he, this summer? And he's been remarkably consistent. Ben Stokes then. Okay, if no action is taken by the Crown Prosecution Service, does Ben Stokes, for you, go to Australia? I think he should definitely be suspended for a period of time. What that period will be, it's a bit hard to define, 
But I would just say, for the sake of argument, till the end of the year, I just don't like the attitude that he's shown over the last few months out late at night. You know, I've seen the players several times after matches or during matches at the end of the game being out in the bar. And I just think after 12 o'clock, they should all be in bed. I think that generally, if you're on duty as an England player, you should show some kind of discipline, some kind of professionalism. And that involves going to bed and, and just not partying late at night. I think it's it looks really bad. And it can't do any good for your own energy levels. I think it's disrespectful to the rest of the team that players are out really late. And Stokes has been warned about this several times already and, of course, was sent home from a tour uh, when he was on the England Lions trip. Ben Stokes is an incredible cricketer. I actually like him as a bloke. You know, off the field, he's incredibly polite. But he needs to control himself after hours. So if he were banned for the rest of the year, that would mean he actually could come back for the final Test match of the Ashes in Sydney. Do you you see that as as a realistic scenario? It's so difficult to know what the, the right solution is because obviously he's been penalised before for his actions. Do people ever change their behaviour? But if he doesn't, he's going to miss more test matches. And of course, the thing is that he's also on this three demerit points as well. So one more infringement on the field will cause a suspension. So he's on very shaky ground generally. I think they have to set an example. You can't have players behaving like this, whatever he did in the aftermath of that that, that, that Bristol nightclub. You know, you can't have players being out late like that, getting involved in those sort of situations. You've got to make an example of them to show that's not the way to, to behave. Of course, if he were to be banned for what you're suggesting, probably four test matches, it was to the end of the year, and if perhaps if he actually if he was out for four test matches, he might not be picked for the fifth test match in any case, so he might well miss the Ashes. Of course, if he does do that, then that, it does damage England's chances. I mean, they're, they're, but are something like this, is it bigger than just the, the Ashes? I mean, the Ashes is big, isn't it? But it is bigger like than this the Ashes. Is big, bigger than the Ashes. Yeah, I, I think it is bigger than the Ashes, and everybody is expendable in the end. The game moves on, it always has done, Fact is that actually that Stokes will become such a massive story in Australia if he is part of the party because there'll be so much focus on him. There'll be attempts to provoke him all the time on and off the field. It'll be a very distracting presence. It might affect England's performances anyway in a bad way. Yeah, I mean that is definitely an issue, isn't it? The idea that someone would try to provoke him in in Australia. What would you mean? Someone might. They absolutely will. What What would you do? Two matches. If there's no action from the Crown Prosecution Service, well, I think that's a possibility anyway. That that might be what they they think about. I, I mean, I can I can definitely see the argument for saying right, whole of the ashes, or indeed the whole of the winter, you know, six month ban or something like that, and then you you come back next summer, select white clean. Things change over time, though. You know, you give it a bit of distance. You get three, four weeks past the incident, and sort of the whole furore sort of dies down a bit. And it might well be they feel that. You know, in a few weeks' time, a two-match ban is sufficient. What that does, of course, is it means he can come back for Perth, and it 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 gives a bit back to the team. I mean, it's it's not it's not an easy situation for the ECB, and it's an impossible situation. You know, interviewing Andrew Strauss the other day, and you, you know, I said to him, you know, how, does this make you feel frustrated? Does it make you feel angry? Of course, he can't really answer that question at, at that stage. But deep down, I mean, he's been preparing for the Ashes as the you know, director of, of England cricket for for many many months. And you know, if you could say to him, you know, what is the worst thing, almost the worst thing to happen, 
close on, this this is it, isn't it? Thing is, there is the counter argument which says that spectators have paid a lot of money to go and watch the Ashes, English fans, and obviously broadcasters have paid a lot of money to show it. They should be entitled to a good contest, which the presence of Stokes ensures there will be. And so, are we now by supposedly suspending him? Are we reducing the, the level of the contest? The denying the spectators the, the proper entertainment that they would have otherwise hoped to get. But in the end, I, I, I don't think you can legislate for that. I think you know if someone behaves like they have, they've got to they've got to have some kind of punishment. Yeah. The, the the bottom line is is that the responsibility to your team and to the to the game is is more important than just playing. For, in two or three or five or whatever Ashes test I mean of course people will come up with well it's not the spirit of cricket and all that I, I hate that argument because the spirit of cricket has always been a bit devious to be honest I mean ever from sort of 1700s onwards there was all sorts of brawls going on and illegal betting and match fixing and stuff so cricket doesn't have this moral high ground at all really but I just think it's a terrible way to behave and just sets a terrible example to society generally that you're going to condone the kind of activities that he's been involved in, and that goes unpunished, and I just don't think that works. Yeah, well, I don't think that's going to happen, is it? I don't think that there's any way the, the ECB can say if you know if, if he were not to be prosecuted by the, the, the Crown Prosecution Service, I don't think there's any way the ECB cannot exact some sort of punishment. They, I, they will, they're bound to. I do also think Stokes, he, he needs some help. I think he yeah. needs to talk to people, he needs to listen to people more. It's slight arrogance at times that they think they can drink late. There is too much of a culture of, of, of staying up late, I think, at the moment in the team, and they need to calm that down. And this is a good example of what can happen if you allow it to escalate, really. Maybe he needs better protection as well, because people are going to come up to him and try and provoke him. And where were the England security staff that night? Why weren't they there? I'd like to know that. Well, when they go abroad, they're always there, aren't they? I mean, they, they know where they are, where all the players are at various times of the day and, and night. Perhaps that needs to happen a bit more rigorously in this country. If Stokes weren't to go, and it, it seems likely that there's going to be some sort of punishment along those lines, you'd, you'd think, who do they take in his place? I mean, he's, you know, he's two, he's two cricketers in one. Do you, do you take a, a bowler? Do you pick a bowler or do you pick a batsman to replace him? In fact, he's three cricketers in one, really, because... Not only his batting and his bowling, but his fielding is match turning, and just his attitude on the field as well, lifting a team out of various predicaments. I loved the way, actually, when he was batting against South Africa in the Trent Bridge Test, which England lost, he was the only one who batted out of his crease to try and confront Vernon Philander and the other South African seamers, and he then took that mentality into the third test of the over which he scored 100 in England won so he turned that series really with his attitude with the bat so you know he is sort of three cricketers in one who do they replace him with I think it has to be a bowler because they can't go because they've got no batsman they have no other batsman to replace him with (laughs) I think that obviously you can't go into a test series with four four main bowlers in Australia you can in England where it's cooler. They've done it before, of course, but, the, but their, their spinner was Graham Swan, who had m- much greater control than, than Moen. I mean, Moen is a, is a fine cricketer, and he's had a brilliant summer. But you, you, you almost feel you could have a four-man attack with Graham Swan, but not with Moen, is that fair? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You just can't rely on Moen to, to hold up an end. He will take wickets, for sure, and he'll probably bowl well on a, on a dry pitch, but you just can't have him 
churning away at one end and rotating the seams at the other. You're going to need five bowlers. That's where Stokes was so invaluable because you could call on him at all sorts of different times. For me, Craig Overton sounds like a cricketer would certainly fill the bowling side of Stokes. I mean, probably better than Stokes in many ways. And he can bat a bit. So he looks like the obvious replacement in the side. Someone who can make a few runs down the order, obviously not at Stokes' level. But... He averages 22 in first-class cricket. He's made uh, one century and a whole bundle of, of half-centuries as well. So he, he's a useful tail-end batsman, Otherwise, a lower-order batsman. If it's, if it's a Finn, say, who, who steps in to be the fourth seamer, then you're talking three number 11s, really, mm. Broad, Anderson and Finn. Or, or Jake Ball, for example. Or Jake Ball, I suppose, is another realistic option. He, of course, is in the squad, so he, he might play. I like Jake Ball's bowling, but I just think that the batting after number eight looks very weak unless you have somebody who can at least make a few runs. And that's been one of the strengths of England's test side uh, of late. And actually, it's, it's test cricket period at the moment. A lot of the runs in test cricket are made in that sort of five to nine sort of area because the ball's got softer. It particularly happens in, in Australia because the, the Kookaburra ball swings for the first 20 overs and then does absolutely nothing. So if you've got a bottom head of the batting order, that, that helps. People have talked about Liam Plunkett as well. I don't think he does enough with the ball. I think he's, qui- he's quite quick. Uh, he probably gives him a little bit of extra pace. But I just don't feel that he does anything with the ball, really. His variations are good in one-day cricket where batsmen are looking to attack. But if they're looking to just bat, I can't see him getting wickets. He's only played two first-class games this year and hasn't shown a great appetite, actually, to play the longer form of the game, though he's a willing workhorse and has done excellently for England in one-day cricket. Mark Wood, you'd hope, at some point will come through his injury worries and be available and he'll be there with the Lions. So I don't think England necessarily need to bring anybody in actually extra because they'll probably have enough players on side anyway. Mm. Well, they probably will though. If they, if they have to replace Stokes, they'll probably name someone else. I mean, well, it could well be someone like Stephen Finn. Mark Wood though could feature later in the series, as you say. I mean, James Whittaker gave us quite a strong indication the other day that if, if necessary and Wood gets himself fit he says he although he would says he is fit at the moment they don't feel he's quite fit enough for the rigors of a whole ashes series james whitaker gave the indication that that wood could well feature in the in the ashes later on i mean it's interesting isn't it? i mean these the old days you know you pick your party and you stuck with it these days it's it's far yeah. more fluid it should be as well i mean if you you know if you're playing a test match at old trafford you pick your best available 11 you don't just pick the 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 people who happen to be in Manchester, do you? So what? What you know the, with air travel these days, you can get there in twenty four hours or whatever. And you've got actually you've got players in the country. Just pick your best eleven. I can, in a way, sort of the idea of an, a, a tour party is sort of fractionally old fashioned, isn't it? And I, perhaps they, they well, I'm, I'm sure they recognise that by having the, the lions around or close by while they're playing test matches. It happened last winter as well, didn't it? In India, where they they were in India and the lions were in UAE, so then they called in Keaton Jennings, for example, and that worked well. And it might be a, an important factor if, say, Moen gets injured, because we haven't really talked about the spin issue. Say Moen has a hand injury or you know pulls a hamstring or something like that. Who who do they then play as the spinner? Do you well, put Jack, Mason well, Crane straight in? That's what James Whittaker said. Yeah, he said, no trouble. He, just, he knocked that question back straight away. Would you would you throw Mason Crane straight into the first Test match if if Moen broke his finger in, in the warm up at the Gabba? Yes, we would. Wow, it's brave. What about the other 
selections. I mean, it's all been overshadowed, hasn't it? It was there was a lot of talk, social media talk. You know, how can they pick Vince? How can they pick Balance? After the, the squad was announced uh, last week, or we we sort of got an indication, didn't we, mm. at Bristol last Sunday that James Vince was was going to be drafted in. So it was not a huge surprise when he was picked. <laughs> We've said this before. There are no solutions to England's batting problems. There are just uh, hunches, <laughs> options. Yeah. And, you know, you've got to pick somebody. You know, there has to be someone batting at number three and has to be batting at someone at number five oh. or whatever. You know, they just have to go with somebody. What about the people they've come up with? I, I would still have thought that a third opener was, was, was the preference. And I don't see James Vince as that person. And... I feel that there's been conflicting messages about James Vince. He's a front foot player and everyone said, oh, his back foot game will be great in Australia. So, you know, how does that make sense? But I do think he has got a bit of class about him. But there's a difference between, as Ian Chappell actually mentioned in one of his columns today, between looking good and actually making runs. And that's what he has to do is make runs and not get out in obvious ways or similar ways as he has in the past. Perhaps he'll turn a corner. He's got the ability, the potential. Now he's going to deliver it. He's, he's probably the best of a, a number of not great options. To be slightly sympathetic to the selectors... You don't know how these guys are going to go until they have to play international class bowling. It's been a, a tough summer for the batsmen, particularly against South Africa, with some high class seam bowling and some helpful pitches. And you don't know how these guys are going to handle it, having come out of Division One in the county championship, until they're put in that situation. And Wesley just looked too vulnerable to too many straightforward deliveries in the end. Whereas so you couldn't see, you couldn't see that in county cricket. Is that what, is that what you're saying? I, I think so. I, I, but there's not just not the same intensity of the bowling or or skill or quality. So batsmen get more loose balls to hit for runs. The pace isn't quite as high. Probably the the fielding isn't quite as good. Sometimes the pitches may not have quite the same pace in them as as a test pitch. So. I think generally you do have to put them into the test arena to find out if they're good enough. Look at Mark Ramprakash, who scored 100 hundreds in mm. county cricket, but couldn't do it in test cricket. And it took them 50 tests to realise that. I think Vince showed probably more potential, and he's played some good innings in one-day cricket for England before he was really picked in the test side. They're looking at that potential, and I think probably the same with David Milan. Milan on his T20 debut for England this summer, played brilliantly and showed he could raise his game to another level. They're hoping he can do that in Test cricket. Yeah, I suppose on the optimistic front, you might say, well, the pitches are going to be better for batting in Australia. Basically, they play county cricket at the start of the summer and the end of the summer now, don't they? When traditionally, you know, it's slightly better for bowling, I suppose, although with the drainage these days, you can come up with some good pitches start the summer and the, the end of the summer. And also the test pitches this summer did help the bowlers a lot. There's not going to be that help in Australia for the bowlers. Mind you, there might be four decent quicks waiting mm. for them when they get to Australia. But that's another issue as well because they Australia are uncertain about their bowling attack because a few of them are injured at the moment and they don't know what's going to happen once they start playing those three rounds of, of shield cricket that we were talking about last week. I mean, the Aussies have had constant problems with their seam attack because they do keep breaking down. But fast bowling is hard work, and that's what makes Jimmy Anderson a remarkable performer. That you know he keeps going; he doesn't break down very often. I know he had a shoulder injury this time last year, but he's come through that and looks fit as a butcher's dog. And I spoke to him a little bit actually about how he's going to bowl in Australia, whether he 
needed to change his approach with the Kookaburra ball, and he seemed actually fairly confident. In fact, he said in that interview we had with him at the end of the, the last test that I just want to be as ruthless as possible now. I'm trying to take wickets less mm. and just bowl relentlessly. And he said to me the other day, I said, how are you going to go with the Kookaburra ball? And he said, well, I'm just going to try and be utterly ruthless and bowl to hit the top of off stump as many, many times as I can, and hopefully that will work. Mm. Well, that's a nice positive way to end this half of the podcast. It's been a bit of a poor week for English cricket, despite the fact the results on the field have been good. After the break, we're going to continue the positive theme because we're going to talk to a man who's had a great summer, Joe Root. Well, welcome back. Just a reminder, you can subscribe to The Analyst Inside Cricket to get the programme automatically each week. Just click on the button where it says subscribe. It's really easy. And please continue to leave reviews of this podcast on iTunes. We really would like to know what you think. And we mean that, by the way. You know, we, we say that every week. But it actually would be really nice if people would leave a review because it just gives us a bit more confidence. So thanks. Yeah, thanks very much for those who, who have left reviews uh, during the summer. Right, one man certainly gives England confidence that they might do well in the Ashes. Well, a few as well. I mean, people like uh, Moen Ali and, and Johnny Bairstow. But above all, the captain, Joe Root. His first summer as England Test captain, England won both series. I think it's fair to say they were expected to win both series. Beat South Africa 3-1 and West Indies 2-1. You might have expected them to see off the West Indies a bit more comfortably but Roots had a magnificent summer with the bat no one has scored more international runs for England in a summer than Joe Root 1402 runs at an average of just under 61 he's only missed the three T20s against South Africa other than that he's played in every England match uh, of the summer including the two one days against Ireland which seemed like about two years ago they seemed so far ago but it just his amazing commitment and his dedication and his consistency, I think, is remarkable, given that he's also been the test captain as well, and he's a number three batsman in the one-day side. He, he's relentless in his pursuit of excellence and his general productivity. And, you know, he's never asked for a rest, has he? I mean, we didn't hear him saying, oh, could I miss the one-day or wherever, whereas, of course, Ben Stokes was rested from that T20 international in Durham. I, I think his commitment to the team is incredible. He plays the game with a smile. He has this faultless approach to the game. You never see him out after hours, I might add. He's just so dedicated. And it comes from a total love of the game, which, which is very infectious and very admirable. We've named him Royal London Player of the Year, inevitably, because of his incredible consistency. And I talked to him uh, during the, the Southampton match, that last match of the season, about what it is that drives him on. Simply just want to get better. I want to keep um, contributing to winning games. And I suppose as, as captain, in the, especially in the test format, you want, to, you, know, you want to set the example and you want to make sure you're going out there and, and leading from the front. So I think that's a good motivation in itself in terms of where you want to go about practice and, and treat... Um, every different opportunity you get. I think when you do play for England, it's an opportunity to go and do something really special. Uh, it's a short period of time that you get a chance to do that, but you get to stamp your mark on the game and, and have a chance to hopefully go and win a lot of games and, and make your country proud. So um, I think with that mentality, it's, it's very easy to stay focused and to stay 
uh, hungry for, for runs and you know, success. And your energy levels never seem to drop either. And sometimes I watch you back with someone like Johnny Bairstow. You've already been in for 40 minutes and he's herring up and down the wicket, but yet you keep up with him. And, you know, to, just to be able to have the physical energy to keep, keep going as you do and keep making runs is phenomenal. How do you do it? Uh, well, it's hard to keep with Johnny because he's rapid and I'm not the quickest. So um, I think more than anything, you just you know what your role is in the team and you know that um, certain guys bat in a certain way and you've got to make sure that you... Now you get the best out of each other in the middle. Um, played a lot of cricket with a number of the the guys now, and um, you know those you, you recognise the different situ- situations you're in, and and you just adapt quickly. Um, you know the tempo of the game is very different. You might back with Stokes, and there's a lot of boundaries flying around, and uh, might be a few more dot balls in between. But you look at playing with someone like Johnny, and it's you know, it's tip and run, and you, you're pushing the boundary right as hard at every opportunity you get. You switch seamlessly between formats. Do you prepare differently for different formats of the game? No, I try and keep preparation as similar as possible. Obviously, there are slight differences and you have to be slightly more calculated in certain areas. Um, but it's just managing the risk um, and knowing you know, what, what your best options are to, to ease delivery. And if you can get a clear thought process in that around practice, um, then it, it gives you a, a real clear way of thinking out in the middle. And... Um, in terms of my technique, I try and keep it similar to make it an easy transition so that you never feel like you're you're changing too many things and through that, less things can really go wrong. That soft block you play, which, I mean, the Villiers is the sort of the peer at, and it's just a little... You make something out of nothing all the time. Is that something that comes naturally or is that something you've had to work on? <laughs> I think for me it does come quite naturally. I think as a kid I couldn't really hit the ball very hard or far, so I had to find ways of getting the ball... Um, either to the boundary or in the gaps and that's something that I developed from, from being a really young um, young lad but there are different areas that you're constantly working at and um, you know it might be that some other players within our side um, have had to develop that side of the game later on in, in life and someone like me has had to try and, and still constantly trying to develop the power side of things so um, that's a great great thing about being part of the team, being part of any team, um, is working with the other guys and sharing, you know, your your thoughts on batting. And, and everyone's got a completely different approach, so there's always chances to learn off a number of different guys within the side. Obviously, you haven't uh, been affected clearly by being captain in a Test series. Your batting seems to have been a constant flow. So, is that something that when you're captain, you're you keep your preparation for batting pretty similar to when you're not captain. Yeah, I'd, I've really focused this year on making sure that um, when I am practicing and I'm, and I'm working on my batting, that that is my sole focus, and making sure that that can be as strong as it can be, uh, and knowing that if if I'm scoring runs, then it's going to put us in a good place as a team. Um, similarly, you want to set an example in, in training. You want to show the guys that I'm prepared to do the hard work, and, and I want to train um, at a really good intensity so that that rubs off on the rest of the team. Obviously you have to play three different formats, you're one of the only players who does. Do you have a preference ultimately? Um, I think my love of cricket and um, all the challenges it brings uh, I do probably slightly favour test cricket I think 
you can find yourself in any different situation and scenario and it really does challenge you different um, there's no real limitations to it in terms of field placings and where you can bowl and uh, you have to really think well about the game and, and you know it's, it's test your ability and your skill and technique over a long period of time obviously there are a number of different challenges in the short formats and I love those um, as well but it, probably by a very small margin I'd have to say test cricket well, that's Joe Root. So, Test cricket just, he says, just ahead of, of white ball cricket. That slightly surprised me. I thought he might have been a bit more enthusiastic about Test cricket, saying it's the ultimate challenge in the game. I mean, he sort of intimated it, it was a slightly higher challenge than, than white ball cricket. But I would, I would have thought he would have really gone for Test cricket as his, his out and out favourite. Perhaps he feels more pressure in Test cricket because. He's so much the linchpin of the England batting order and there's some fragility about England's batting in Test cricket, isn't there? Whereas in one-day cricket, it doesn't really matter if he fails because there's so many other gun batsmen around him and they're so successful as a one-day side. So he just probably feels that extra bit of responsibility in Test cricket. But interestingly, I looked up his average this summer as the Test captain and in all other matches, and it's exactly the same. So it, it looks as if the captaincy doesn't affect the approach he has to batting, which is fantastic. Uh, how is he going to get on in Australia? He's going to be averaging 61 out there. They're going to be after him, aren't they, <laughs> off the, on and off the field. To, to take him down, you take down the captain, you can take down the team. That's uh, sort of often heard tenet about playing against Australia. Last time he was there, he averaged 27. I mean, there, there were some very low averages all round last time. He made 87 in, in Adelaide. and he was, he was dropped, remember, didn't play in the last test match. That really spurred him on. In a way, that was a, a benefit to his career. It really drove him on to, to improve and succeed. But a very different type of player this time round. In a way that, you know, someone like, I remember Steve Smith back in 2010-11. You, you said this guy was going to come up, go on and be one of the, the great players in the world. You'd, you'd have laughed. I and mean, he's made massive leap forwards as well. Rude will be on the way to being crowning as greatest player if he comes through this examination in the winter. He's had a bit of experience of, of Australian pace with Mitchell Johnson, obviously, in that 2013 series. But this will be the acid test. You know, he's come through all the other challenges of batting in India and playing on seeming wickets in England and obviously dealing with, with all the bowlers around the world, South Africans, for instance, who are, who are pretty good. The extra intensity of the Ashes in Australia plus the potential for sort of three guys bowling at over 90 miles an hour is going to be his ultimate test. And there are two areas that the Australians will focus on. One will be the bouncer, and he is a bit of a compulsive hooker, so they'll definitely try him out, test him out. And he's got to learn, I think, to, to avoid having a hook at everything and just watching it go by. And the other area is they're going to definitely have two gullies to him because his favourite shot is that sort of force off yeah. the back foot with the ball just back of a length on the off stump with that bit of extra bounce and pace in Australia. You're just going to have to be a bit careful with that shot because it can go in the air and they'll have people to catch it. So if he can just be a bit more disciplined outside the off stump to the slightly short of a length delivery and avoid hooking, I think he'll be fine. I suppose it will. a lot of it will depend as well on how well the team is going. I mean, if you have to carry the burden of the team as well, that's, that's not easy. Overall against Australia, he's averaged 41 and his test average is 53. He's made 300s against Australia. He hasn't got one out there, the 300s all back here. 
14 test matches against them and he's averaged 41. So significantly lower, but not bad, but significantly lower than against other countries. Yeah, because they they are good bowlers and they bowl fast. And that is basically the ultimate test of a batsman, really. There are two ultimate tests of a batsman. Extreme pace and, you know, spin in India. And those are obviously both very, very difficult to deal with. He's looked pretty good in India dealing with the spin. Can he handle the Australian pace? I reckon he can, but he might just have to tinker with his game a touch. So what are we thinking at the moment then? What, what, what's Root's final press conference going to be in, in Sydney in about I don't know, four or five months' time at the end of the series? Is he going to be saying, well, Joe, 5 uh, nil. What, what, well, what were the positives? <laughs> or are you going to say, uh, well, Joe, I mean, that, is a rem- that is a remarkable achievement as a, an England captain to come to Australia and, and defend the Ashes? Well, I don't think it's going to be either. I, I don't think England will lose 5 nil. I think they've got enough excellent cricketers in the side. I think Alistair Cook will have a, a, a good series, and I think Root will. I think their bowlers might perform more effectively than we're imagining they will. And Australia have got you know, frailties of their own. They're not the greatest batting side. Their bowlers might break down. I think we're going to lose the Ashes, but I think England will put up a fight and... I think we'll say at the end of the series to Joe Root, uh, that was a, a commendable effort, but you weren't quite good enough. So you, so you think, it's a, if I said to you, what's more likely, that's probably a bit of an unfair question, if I said, what's more likely, 5-0 or England defending the Ashes, what, what, would, you, what would you say? What, you know, what, what does it go towards? 5-0 or England successfully defending the Ashes? Remember, they only have to draw the series to defend the Ashes. Well, I think if Ben Stokes plays any part of the Ashes, there is a good chance England could retain them. If he doesn't play there's more chance of it being 5-0. OK, let's finish with our low-light highlight. What was our low-light of the week? Oh, I'm just scratching my head. I'm just trying to think what that might have been. Um, OK, well, we've dealt with that already. There's <laughs> <laughs> the, the low-light to cap all low-lights, I think, as far as in, in, and, and English cricket is concerned. It has cast a, a pall over the season because England overall played some great cricket. The Test Series were, were quite well contested, but England won them both. And the One Day Series as well. Were, were, there were some good cricket in the South African matches. West Indies were just not up to it. They weren't good enough. And they need to really, really improve both their fitness, their fielding and their general sophistication. And by the way, we should also mention Joe Root is now the third youngest to get to 4,000 one-day runs. Third quickest. Joe Root's the third quickest to get to 4,000 one-day runs. When he hit that six to end the season and win the match against West Indies at Southampton. So, so you know, lots of good success stories. Moen Ali, I mean, what a phenomenal mm. performance he's produced with the bat in the last two months. Absolutely. Is there no, there's nobody I've ever experienced who, when he hits the ball, makes such a clean sound. Mm. We've got the headphones on when we're covering the game, and it makes that unique, resonant click when he collars one of those ones over deep mid-wicket, which I haven't really experienced from any other batsman. He is the cleanest time of the ball I reckon, reckon that's ever lived. Well, that was in evidence at the Oval last week, or also at uh, Bristol last Sunday. We're going to end uh, with the highlight of the week, though. I think we're going to go for Evan Lewis's innings at the Oval. Well, I mean, that was a fantastic innings, and who knows how many he would have got if he hadn't hit the ball into his ankle and suffered a, a fracture of the ankle. Fantastic innings, and, and there were signs just here and there on the, on West Indies tour of England that they they've got that that talent that they can make something of 
in the future. Lewis was one, obviously Shea Hope as well, Alzari Joseph right at the end of the series as well with those five wickets at the end. But those two, I thought, in particular, Lewis and, and Shea Hope. But, of course, you need 11, two's not enough, or three's not enough. No, but you're right about Evan Lewis, and talking of clean timing... You know, the way he struck the ball was absolutely magnificent. The ball was just soaring off his bat into the dark sky at the Oval. And the sky was the limit for him until he got injured. He could have easily got the highest ever one-day score in an England one-day international, which, of course, is a West Indian, 189. Viv Richards, he holds the record for the highest one-day score in England. And I could see Evan Lewis getting way past 200, which has been very exciting and hugely uplifting for the West Indies. They have to go back home now and, and, and really look at the structure of their game and go back to basics. But there are just a few green shoots growing up from the evidence of that last few games. OK, that's just about it for this week. Who knows what we're going to be talking about next week in this fast-changing world in which we live in. But I hope you've enjoyed it. Goodbye for now. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.